0: Hey, ladies and gents, this is Mike Hedley. We are back with another great episode on Head Group Real Estate Show. We got a CPA and an investor and a well-rounded, knowledgeable person in the real estate industry. She's giving us insight and in telling you why you need a CPA and accountant for your business. We're talking to Alameda. She's very knowledgeable into the business and we want you all to tune in. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gents. This is Mike Hedley on the Headley Group Real Estate Show. This is a podcast designed for real estate professionals who's thinking about getting a career in real estate or who's already been in the business. We'll learn some great tips and tricks from the professionals and the veterans. Continue to tune in. Hey, ladies and gents, how we all doing? This is Mike Headley on the Headley Group Real Estate Show. We got another awesome, awesome episode for you. Uh, We talk about real estate all the time, which is the core of our business, the core of the show. But we have to deal with the main ingredients you need to make sure your business is successful. A lot of us kind of avoid and we don't want to deal with with our financials. We got a young lady today who is uh, talented, uh, has been well experienced experienced in this industry. She's a CPA and uh, she has some real estate rental properties as well. Uh, very knowledgeable in this space. Uh, the name of her company is called Matural Financials. And again, it was so often I asked to keep real on the show, I messed up her name a couple of times, but I want to make sure I get this right. So we want to give a warm welcome to Miss Day. And thank you for being on the show. <laughs> yeah, I get they- it right. Yes, you did.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay.
0: Now you got to say the last name because I, I want to I screw it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, no problem. So my name is Olamidea Waitusa and I'm a licensed CPA located in the District of Columbia.
0: Mm, love that. And we love to see us that's in that representation. And I'm quite sure that, uh, and you can tell me better than I want to speak for you, is that do we make up, what's the percentage of us in that industry? In, um, the C- in accounting? Accounting CPA. So yes. there are
1: actually only about 2% of CPAs are Black, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting fact. So there, I think in the 70s, there were only five Black CPAs in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely a lot of Black trailblazers that helped build that up. Um, back in the day, in order to become a CPA, just an interesting fact, you need experience so it was hard for a lot of black people to get accepted in white, law, white accounting firms. So I think that mm-hmm. was probably the biggest obstacle um, back in the day for black people to become CPAs.
0: Mm-hmm. Great insight on that. And that leads to my, my segue to say, okay, Let's take it back some, and also we want to give a shout out that she is an HBCU alum. We want to get round of applause on that? Shout and, out to the Howard uh,
1: graduates out
0: there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's By the way, like I said, I went. I told you, I went A and C. So we're going to give. She's a HBCU alum. So we all in one big family. Uh, the CPA game. Uh, what what led you? What was that that that, that, itch that made you say, "Well, let me try this route instead of doing"? corporate law or or going another avenue? What was that itch?
1: Yeah, for me, um, I've always wanted to be an accountant. Mm. I've I've wanted to be an accountant since I was like 12. Interesting Mm. fact, my name actually means my wealth has arrived. So I I felt like it was kind of just always my destiny. I've always been good with numbers, always just kind of thought that way. And for me, I feel like when you get an accounting degree, you can kind of go into any industry, no matter what you want to do, whether it's sports, music, corporate, everyone is going to need an accountant. So I just felt like it was the most versatile thing for me.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that. So, so now I'm an investor, right? Invest in real estate or any kind of business that I have, um, I feel as though I'm okay. I'm using QuickBooks. I'm using um, some form of spreadsheet. Uh, I feel as though I don't actually need a CPA. My business is growing. How vital is a CPA and account into everyone's business?
1: Oh, my goodness. I think a CPA, an accountant, is so critical to your business and to your business success. Um, It's just one of those things where you don't realize how much you need one until you get one. Um, Mm. The type of insight that you'll be able to get with a CPA is just going to really jumpstart your business or really take off. Um, There are just so many different things, especially with some of my clients that I've seen, um, especially where I primarily work with um, low-income Black and brown communities. Mm. So I've seen a lot of people make a lot of mistakes that could have mm. been easily avoided. Mm. So I know people avoid like getting experts and professionals and like, you know, an accountant or whatever, cause it can be costly, mm. but in terms of the cost savings and the potential money that you'll be making, it can really be worth it. Just different things like how to keep your net income high, but your taxable income low, different things like is a certain deal profitable, um, different things like if you work for yourself, how to set up retirement accounts, how to really mm. manage your money. Um, it just really can be extremely beneficial when you have an expert on your side
0: mm, i like that so so while you're saying that i want to peel that onion back a little bit more if jane and john doe uh uh is have a business and they say i want i want to go to uh come to you just for some expert advice um would you is that a is that a uh, 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 uh like how would you gauge that how would you do they need to have a portfolio ready together before you kind of actually have a conversation with them or when they just fresh, they got an idea? Like which which part would you recommend?
1: Yeah, so I guess like at first, like, first of all, let me just talk a little bit about my business and kind of what we do. Okay, um, okay. So- I do have a financial services company called Pachira Financials. Mm-hmm. We offer bookkeeping, tax, financial, ser- financial advisory services, as well as some digital products mm-hmm. and um, free resources on our website. And I originally started the company because as you had mentioned, um, I, I kind of felt like financial literacy was really slacking in mm-hmm. black and brown communities, mm-hmm. in low-income communities, especially mm-hmm. after I purchased my first home um, in Southeast DC. I just saw a lot of gentrification happening, so that was mm-hmm. really the catalyst that made me. You say why am i working in corporate America, helping these rich people get richer when I could really be working in my community. Um, so that's kind of what we do. We work with all types of people. We mainly work with small business owners, work with people who make $50,000 a year, work with people who make half a million dollars a year. Mm. Um, so the first step is really a consultation because not everyone has their stuff together. Um, we Correct. work with people who, just, who don't have, you could probably not, don't have anything. Um, so the first thing we do is we do a consultation. We kind of see where you're at. We see what you need to do. Some people are like, more advanced, more better at keeping track of their finances. Like some people may have QuickBooks, some people may not. So that initial um, consultation is where we kind of discuss like where you are. Do you have a portfolio? Do you not? Do you have bookkeeping in place? Do you not? Have you filed your taxes for the past couple of years? Have you not? And then from there, we can really um, we can really go ahead and um, find a path forward in terms of what would be the best option for you.
0: Mm, I like that. You you mentioned uh, real estate, right? And I think, and, and again, we keep it real on the show. And it was a what it really attracted you, uh, uh, um, you to us. And why we reached out, with, again, again, we're a real estate core show. Where I want to make sure I'm getting this right here, million dollars in real estate within a certain Sorry? period. I mean, uh, did you have a certain number that you made in real estate within yeah. a, a couple of years? And yeah. you say the number, you say the number.
1: Yeah, so I was able to build a million dollar real estate portfolio in two years.
0: Oh, Uh, you got to stop the press. Let's get round the (laughs) floor. Million dollars in a two-year period. You got to peel that onion back. Talk to us about that.
1: Yes. Okay, so... I'm gonna break down two of my deals and I'm gonna use numbers just so people mm. can really put things into perspective. Mm. And people sometimes be thinking I'm lying and I'm like, I'm not lying, guys, it's possible. Um, so, my very first home I purchased in Southeast DC, uh, Washington DC is a really high cost of living area. So, mm. that's first and foremost. The homes in this area are, I mean, at the very least 400, 500,000. Mm. So, my first home, I was able to get it for $335. Mm. Um, it was an elderly woman she actually used to live in the house. And when I really started to realize gentrification was when I was putting in home offers for homes and a lot of the homes I was putting in offers for were estates, meaning that the owner passed away and the Mm. estate was trying to now dissolve the owner's assets. Mm. Um, And what I found was that in Southeast, a lot of the old folk refuse to sell. They do not sell. That's why Southeast DC has remained predominantly black. Well, mm. not even all of Southeast, like parts of Southeast are still predominantly black because you have a lot of older folk who were like, I'm not selling my house to nobody. You know what I mean? Correct, correct, but correct, I correct, realized correct. that what was happening with the younger folks is that they sell it um, you know, they they sell the home. They don't want to live in the in the in southeast. They don't want they want to live somewhere where it's close to the bars and restaurants. And, Correct. you know, this might be a bit of a food desert. So um I feel like that generation of individuals who were really helping us keep our properties in our community are we're passing away. So anyway, mm. that's just a side note. But. Um, so I purchased it from an elderly lady and basically to sum it up, I think that the best, the main things that really helped me is, I'm gonna just disclaimer, because I don't want to feed anyone any false dreams. Correct. One, I did graduate with a graduate degree and I had no student loans. Mm. So that was huge because one, I had decent income and two, I didn't have any debt. Mm. So it really helped me with being able to qualify for a home at a younger age. Mm. Um, and so with that being said, I also was able to utilize first-time homebuyer programs, and I also was able to utilize um, seller assistance with closing costs. So um, in DC, DC has a lot of really good first-time homebuyer programs because mm-hmm. it is a cost, a high cost of living area. Most. Correct. Um, lower-income individuals would not be able to afford to purchase a home in DC if it wasn't for those first-time homebuyer programs. Correct. Now, I was making decent money, but luckily my income was literally like $1,000 a year under the threshold for me to qualify oh. for those wow. um, grants, which I was really mad at my job because I didn't get the raise that I wanted, but now gotcha, in gotcha. fact, like that was a blessing. Truly so, a blessing. Um, it really was. So uh, when I first saw the house, um, the biggest thing that really skyrocketed this deal for me was that I got seller concessions. Mm. Now, I was able to get seller concessions because I always tell people the house was paid off, right? The lady who lived here before me, she lived in the house for 60 years. So they had the house paid off. Um, and I feel like sometimes you can negotiate a little better when the house is paid off.
0: Question. I, wonder, I know you keep going seller concessions. Break that down for a you who may not know what that is.
1: Yeah, a seller concession, um, a lot of people don't realize that you can actually ask the seller to pay some or par- uh, or all of closing costs. Uh-huh. Now, I do want to say, because I've been getting this a lot, people like, not in this market, not in this market. My mm-hmm. second property, the duplex, I was able to still get $5,000 seller credit, um, so there is kind of a way to get around that um you just have to be able to find a a good deal it's just really important to find a good deal um a property that's maybe been on the market for a long time but you can try to negotiate a little something like you know, even if it's five thousand, two thousand, I think usually if seller pays closing, they pay about 3%. Um, but just to right. put that disclaimer out there, we are in a very hot real estate market. It very is starting hot. to cool down. So yes. seller concessions is not something that a lot of people are able to get in their deals, right. but it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't right. hurt to at least try.
0: Close mouth, don't get fed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but I heard you mention debt. Right, you and first of all, kudos to you, and I take my hat off to you being debt-free. Right, but, but let me pull that back a little bit. I went to undergrad, went to graduate school, no debt. Did you? Was it a lot of grants, a lot of grant writings, scholarships?
1: So it was a lot of scholarships. Okay. Um, I considered myself the scholarship queen. <laughs> okay,
0: okay, gotcha. And that's another great one for another show, I like that.
1: Yes, that is a whole nother thing for another show, but um, definitely I, I targeted scholarships that were exclusive, Target scholarships that were exclusive to women, exclusive to people of color, exclusive mm. to my accounting mm. um, profession, mainly because if the easier the scholarship is to apply, the more people that apply, the less you're gonna get it. So I definitely had a whole strategy going on where I was constantly applying mm. scholarships. I was on my grind. You know, but you obviously also have to have your GPA high and stuff like that and be able to correct, qualify. Correct, um, correct. Yeah, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that, yeah, It you know, yeah, is. It
0: is. It is. That it gives is, me
1: cool. an idea to like maybe share that a little bit more on my social media about how I was able to accomplish that. Because it, it is possible. And I, I'm so against student debt, like, I would not have went to grad school if it wasn't for free. I, I would have said no.
0: <laughs> Quick commercial break. If you're interested in a career in real estate or you're a seasoned vet and you might want to change, new environment, you don't like the atmosphere you're in. The Headley Group Realty could be there to assist you with your career. What do we offer? Great culture, great environment, leads and an awesome commission structure. Let us be there to support your business. One thing, you got to be in the state of North Carolina. Let's get back to the show. So so speaking of that, and again, I don't want to dive too much into it, but you got me intrigued. What part of you, particularly at, at like I said, I don't know what age you, you went to uh, 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 undergrad and grad school. What was that light bulb click on when you said, hey, I don't want to have long term debt? I need to come up with a strategy. Because, you know, a lot of people are not thinking that. Financially, hey, we'll take that loan out. But what made that light bulb click on for you?
1: Yeah, I think just growing up, um, I've always just kind of been good with money. I just always knew student loan debt was bad. I saw, Mm. I couldn't believe I mean, personally, uh, my mom was immigrant, so I didn't really know how to maneuver all of those (laughs) things. And I think that was probably a big contributor to it. But also I had a full ride, so I only had to pay housing. Um, so my mom did help me with my housing, my first and my second year, but it was a strain on her. So I knew that I had to get a scholarship or she would want me to come stay home. Oh. <laughs> and I said, that's not happening. I'm saying, I'm, so I'm born. That was now. a big motivator. That. that was a big motivator. But I saw a lot of my friends. I mean, they would take out loans for cars. They would take out loans. They were like, oh, I just got my refund. We're going to go to this party. Like, I just thought that was crazy. I, I mean, I, I really? just thought it was common sense that you don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm.
0: And as a result, you're benefiting now. Let's talk about debt. Is there any is there a reason for somebody to say uh uh, uh i'm taking this kind of debt out whether it's a mortgage talk to us about good debt and bad debt what's your take on that
1: yeah so good debt is debt that can help you generate more income right mm. like if you're if, if it's not going to increase in value or produce income you probably shouldn't use debt to buy it period. Um, and I think we've, we've gotten so used to a society where we're used to want, wanting things now, now, now. And that's kind of the American like culture, um, you know, to just like buy things now when you want it. But there are some types of debt that are good. Like mortgage is, in my opinion, can be good debt. It can be bad if you don't do it properly, but it can be good right. debt. My first property I purchased with only Mm $3,000 within a year, it skyrocketed so much in value that I was able to get a $40,000 home equity line of credit. Um, I was able to make positive income because I was house hacking, meaning I was living in the home, but I had two roommates who were pretty much covering the mortgage. So then I was saving a ton of money because I didn't have to pay rent. You know, there are just so many things that for me, a mortgage, yes, I say like, oh, I'm debt free, I'm debt free. Yes, I do have a ton of mortgages, but my net worth has skyrocketed. The equity in my home has been like phenomenal in terms of helping me invest in other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And my home value, yeah, my home values have been going up, you know, so there are certain debts like that. There are also things called like refinancing or restructuring your debt, Mm -hmm. meaning taking out debt to pay off another debt. Now Mm -hmm. that might sound like bad, but it makes sense if you are getting a lower interest rate, right? Like, Mm. so if your interest rate is 7%, now your interest is, your credit score is better. Your income is higher and you can get a loan for 2%, go ahead and restructure that loan or go ahead and refinance that loan Mm. with a different type of debt. So you can, um, so you can use that. Um, sometimes people use debt to invest. So if mm-hmm. your debt costs are 3%, but you can invest that debt in say your mm-hmm. business and so you're getting a business loan and you know your mm-hmm. business is going to make a larger return and your business is going to make money. Some people do that, use debt mm-hmm. to invest in their businesses. So there mm-hmm. are, there is good debt to have. Like student loan debt isn't all bad. Um, mm-hmm. I know people who, who had to take out student loans because, you know, if they had to and now they're making $100,000 a year and they're so happy they did it and they're like, yes, you know. But I also know People who were excessive took out a ton of money in debt and aren't doing great, so it really just Mm -hmm. depends on your own situation and mm. being mindful that debt is basically like, cause I look at money, like time, right? Like your time okay. is your money. Your money is your time. And I okay. just feel like debt is you spending your future time. Mm. So I think a lot of people don't really realize that. So for me, it's like, I don't want to be spending my future time. What I'm doing right now is I'm working hard so that I can actually like live my life in the future and enjoy it. You know what I mean?
0: Mm. I like, you know, something say, say, I got this thing. What I say on the show, tell it to the people in the back, say that one more time. Yeah, uh, Your money, say it again, for the future. Yeah. So
1: your, your time is your money and your money is your time. So when you mm. take on debt, you are spending your future time. So.
0: That, is, that is so, so crucial. So what would you say to an investor who says, hey, I'm new, just getting into the game. What's some action items should I take in terms of first time buyer or investment property?
1: Yeah, so um, the four things that I tell people to look at is income, credit, debt, and cash. When you're looking Mm. to get to real estate, Um, I actually have a real estate course on my website called Pachira. Yeah, the um, the website is PachiraFinancials.com. So shameless plug. Um, I do good. have a ton of digital products on there. And I have a, um, a a course where I really do talk about and I break down those four categories. Mm-hmm. One, you got to make sure you want to make sure that your your credit is good. You can still purchase real estate and get into real estate without perfect credit. Don't let that deter you, but it definitely mm-hmm. helps. There are things that you can do to improve your credit. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. and I talk about those a lot in, in the course. Um, the other thing is income and debt kind of go hand in hand because mm-hmm. the more income you have, the more debt you're allowed to have. And that falls into your debt to income ratio. So a lot of people don't know what that is. A lot of people don't realize how important that is. You can make $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, but if your debt payments are equal to your monthly income, you will not be able to qualify for a loan. So that's really important, making sure that your income, that you make enough money to actually make the payments on the mortgage that you want to get. And also that your debt is low enough so that the bank will allow you to take on more debt because you don't want to be over leveraged. Mm -hmm. Over leveraged means that you have more debt than you can handle. And then lastly, you want to make sure that you have some cash. Not only are you going to need cash for closing costs and down payment, but you're going to need cash in reserves in case anything happens because Purchasing a home is a big investment. It's like if you buy a car. When you buy a car, you got to think about gas. You got to think about maintenance, new tires, new brakes, all that stuff. The same with the home, but on such a larger scale.
0: Mm, mm. I mean, you said it now. Again, the people in the back said income, cash. Like, like What did you say? Three action, three yeah, the three things? Four, yeah, the
1: four main things four is main things. income, credit, cash, and debt.
0: Cash and debt. So, okay, let's talk about that. You gave the action item Someone says, "Okay, these are the things I need to be uh, have in place." um My cash is not as high. I took I took the care of my credit. I'm painting the scenario here. I took the care of my credit. My 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 cash not as high. My debt is in between. Do you recommend take on a second job or do whatever I can to increase that cash flow?
1: So yeah, so it depends. It really depends um, on so many different factors. For example, my first property, I house hacked. So I knew when I was going into buying that property that I wanted to house hack. And um, basically uh, uh, what that meant was I was paying a ton of money for my little studio apartment in Northern Virginia, which is like 20, 30 minutes outside of DC. I was paying so much money and it was ridiculous. I hated it. It was flooded, it was just nasty, it was cheap. Um, Yeah, so I, I knew that I was like, okay, Rent is your bi- biggest expense, right? Rent is mm-hmm. your biggest expense. So I was like, how can I get rid of these rent payments? And what mm-hmm. I decided was that if I were to purchase a home, right? If I were to purchase a home and the mortgage were to be um $1500 or $2000 and I were to get two roommates that were each paying me $800 to $900 each, they would pretty much be covering a bulk of my mortgage. So for me, it made sense where I was like, okay, I could actually do this and move forward even if I didn't have a whole ton of money I didn't have a whole ton of experience but for me because of what I wanted to do with the property Mm -hmm. it made a little bit more sense so it really Mm -hmm. depends on your location can you get a three-bedroom home in your area for two to three hundred dollars or something in a price range that's reasonable for you Uh if not then maybe reconsider you know what I mean so it depends Mm -hmm. on how much homes are in your area in a three-bedroom in DC could be five to six hundred thousand. A three-bedroom in Maryland could be two hundred thousand. Mm. You know what I mean? So it really mm. depends on those things, like the area. Um, if your credit is so-so, it depends. Like how so-so is it? Um, mm. How much is that impacting? Because sometimes interest rate may not impact your mortgage payment as much as you might think in the short mm. term. In the long term, yes. But sometimes, if your if your credit score isn't that great, like I've seen it and I've done the calculations myself for people, it's like. Like, sis, like, you're really going to not get this mortgage because your credit isn't great, but you're only paying an extra 50 bucks a month on it. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, is it, you know, it's like, is it really going to deter you from that? Or can you potentially refinance in the future? You know what I mean? Mm. So it really just depends on your situation. It depends on how much cash you have. Do you like mm. not have any cash, you know? And it also can dictate how you go about your negotiations. You have to stick to your guns and be willing to walk away. And I've had to do that for both of the um, both my properties, I've been always willing to walk away and I've always stuck to my guns. Like, if I don't got it, if I can't afford it, if it's exceeding what I have planned out, I'm not going to go for it. So, it just mm-hmm. depends on a whole lot of different factors.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I want to make sure I'm hearing correctly. What I'm hearing beneath everything is I was willing to be uncomfortable just a little bit so I can get with later on. uh And I was able, I was smart enough to, and I'm actually about that as well, smart enough to have. Uh, 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 roommates come in and pay my mortgage for me. How did that conversation go? How how was because you know sometimes i are like, what am I paying that unless it was so, such a great deal? Like, how did you work that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously you make them pay market rate. You know what I mean? DC is one of those places where. Um, I mean, I you know, being young, you have roommates. Um, it's right. one of those places where you have roommates. I was in a three-bedroom where I was paying eight hundred. My roommate was paying seven. The other girl was paying six fifty. You know, so oh, that's right. DC Correct. for you. Correct. <laughs> so Correct. for those Correct. who are like confused, that's just DC exactly. for you. So. For me, I'm like, oh, I do this anyway. I already ha- I have roommates anyway. People live in group homes anyway. It's a common Correct. thing where a bunch of young professionals each will have a room or, Correct. you know, someone have a basement. So I was lucky that one of my good friends wanted to move in with me before I even closed on the house. Mm. Um, and so that was so key. And I'm so grateful for her to this day because I'm going to admit, I was in a little over my head. You know, I'd never mm. owned property. You know, my family didn't have property. My mom's not into real estate or anything. So I was mm. really learning as I went. Okay. And so... Um, I was able to get her and that really helped hold me down until I found a second tenant in the basement. And Mm. then once I was able to do that, it really was just secured. So you definitely will charge market rate. It's not like you're gonna be charging exuberant prices, but you know, it is what it is. people pay that anyway so my my roommates they were going to be living with other people anyway so they just yeah i just put it um i just i put it on facebook i know a lot of howard alumni in the area a lot of howard students in the area so that was what i really targeted was young students young professionals just looking for roommate type situations
0: Mm. question landlord right which is a that's a whole nother ball game Mm -hmm. how how has that worked on your patients and, and what advice and suggestions would you give someone when they actually starting to become a landlord, when you're dealing with that tenant?
1: So the biggest thing I will say is make sure that you um, are a legal landlord. Okay. A lot of people think that you can just rent out your room and that's it, but that is not the case. Mm-hmm. And I found this out because before I started renting out my house, my friend, she had a situation where someone was in her one of her properties and she couldn't get them out because she Mm -hmm. didn't have a rental license. Mm -hmm. So when she tried to go to court, and what a lot of people don't realize, you can't just put someone out on the street. In a lot of states and a lot of jurisdictions, you cannot just, if someone don't pay their rent, you can't just throw them out and change their locks. That's illegal. You have right, to let them right, stay. Right. you have to go through the courts for the courts to issue you an eviction. And most times a court martial has to be there to monitor the eviction. Mm, you know what I mean? Exactly. So a lot of people don't know that. So it's very, very important that one, you have your rental license. So if mm. anything happens, you can go to the courts and get that rectified. I know a lot of people who don't do that. And what ends up happening is that your tenant is living in your property for free while you figure it all out. Now, Hmm. what if you try to get your rental license, you have to do a rental inspection. And now you don't even pass rental inspection. Now they're saying you got to fix like $3,000 worth of stuff. Meanwhile, until you get that rental license, you can't kick that person out of your property. So Hmm. they're sitting there for seven, eight, nine months while you're trying to figure it all out. You just that's just like the worst case scenario. Mm. Um, So you definitely want to make sure that you look at the rules and regulations in your state or jurisdiction to make sure that you are meeting the requirements to actually rent your space. And this is important because it allows you to then um, go to court if anything were to happen or to claim for um, damages or losses or anything like that. So it really keeps Mm. you safe. I know in D.C., I've heard of things called professional renters who target private who target private landlords who are not aware of these things and they know that it will take forever for this thing to go through the courts. And you know it just becomes a mess, it becomes a headache, that person's living there for free, you're probably paying their utilities, you can't rent to nobody else, it just can be a mess. So one, definitely make sure that you, can le- you are legally renting your space. Um, another little tip is when you are doing your inspection, for your property the inspector is not always going to look at everything that a rental inspection will look at or like a a rental license inspection will look at perfect example when i moved into my house um there were smoke detectors however in dc you're required to have hardwired smoke detectors if your Mm. home was built after i think it's like a certain period of time or if your home had extensive renovations where Mm. like the walls are down you're supposed to have hardwired smoke detectors luckily my home was built long ago so i didn't have to meet that requirement but if you're somebody who didn't know that inspector is gonna inspect your house and like that's not necessary like for me if i was buying a house for my family i wouldn't be pressed about hardwired smoke detectors as long as i got battery operated smoke detectors you know it's fine like you're you're fine inspector is not gonna Mm you know, be like, hmm, these aren't hardwired, you know? (laughs) But if you're trying to get a rental license and you're getting a rental inspection, they'll look at things like that. They'll look at things like hardwired smoke detectors. They'll look at things like, I think there's another rule where um, you have to have a railing on any steps that's more than three. So mm. I know on one of my properties, I didn't. there wasn't a railing. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to not buy a house. Like, oh, there's no railing. Like,
0: right, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: But if you want to get a rental license, that's something you're required to fix. Mm. Um, like, you know, just different things like certain electrical requirements, just certain things are just different if you're renting. So if you are planning on renting your home or house hacking, make sure that you look at the inspection requirements prior mm. to doing your home inspection mm. so that you can give those inspections Requirements to the inspector, so he knows what to look out for.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, so there's that.
0: Go, go ahead, I'm listening.
1: Yeah, so there's that. The whole like making sure you are legally renting your property mm. <laughs> is like a big thing in terms of being a landlord. um Making sure that you're properly vetting the people that are you are allowing to live in your property, and that goes mm. back to like being a legal landlord because you just don't want to run into any of those issues i've luckily been lucky where i didn't have to run into those issues mm. but um definitely make sure that you are renting legally <laughs> that is gotcha. so so key as a landlord that's like the first thing i tell people like do you have a renter's license mm.
0: well what made me you got me intrigued here because i know each state and city operates differently uh, i didn't know dc you had to have a rental license oh yeah some state really it rental is- license.
1: DC is actually one of the most renter-friendly like jurisdictions in the country. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I know a lot of people don't even like rent. They don't even want to rent in DC because they're like, I just don't even want to deal with all the headache.
0: So, so is it taking a course or are you just paying a fee for the city?
1: For for a rental a rental, license? A rental license, yes. So it's multiple steps. You have to have a BBL, which is a basic business license. So you actually have to have a business license. Um, you have to go through the inspection process. Um once you I think you have to go through like the inspection process. You have to have a BBL, you have to pay obviously the fees for registering your business and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um so yeah, it is a little bit of a process, but it's so so worth it in case anything happens. Oh, that was the other tip I wanted to say. The mm-hmm. other tip that I wanted to mention is that file your taxes, guys, because landlords sometimes may not claim the income that they make because they think that it's um because they think that it's gonna cause them to pay more in taxes however Mm. most landlords actually get to lower their taxable income Mm. by being a landlord because once you start renting parts of your property you are then eligible for a ton of tax deductions that you wouldn't otherwise be eligible for now Mm. these tax deductions that are reserved for landlords are not reserved for homeowners. So there's a differentiation between the tax deductions that you can make as a homeowner and the tax deductions that you can make as a landlord. So, like, <laughs> not to take it too technical, but there are a ton of deductions that you can make as a landlord. So gotcha. I thought that and I was nervous about reporting my rental income because I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to pay taxes, but it actually lowered my taxable income. Once <laughs> I put in all my expenses, I was like, Wow, you know, you can deduct your okay. utilities, you can deduct your homeowner's insurance, you can deduct depreciation, which is Huge and which is key to really getting that loss on your um, rental like income for your taxes. So, mm. definitely talk to an accountant or talk to a CPA about that because I know a lot of people do not um, report their rental income and they're probably leaving money on the table because that exactly. means you're eligible for a lot more um, deductions as a business owner. Mm. Hey guys,
0: thank you for watching our show. We're going to interrupt you real quickly. We are in the business of referrals. You know, someone looking to buy or sell residential or commercial here in the north carolina area refer us we really appreciate that you know you, you said so many great stuff i want to peel it back in terms of with the real estate part of it real estate's been good for you like right? what, what was what's how has it been for, since getting into uh um, you first purchased your property up until now now you've accumulated all this equity as well as knowledge
1: Yeah, so I personally, it's been great. Real estate has changed my life. Um, I bought my first home because growing up, we didn't have a home. I didn't have a whole lot growing up. So for me, having a home, having a home base, you know, like was so important. Like, I don't have like a childhood home to go to or anything like that. And so that was the main thing that I wanted. I just wanted to buy a house. I didn't Mm -hmm. I never even thought I would have a million dollars worth of real estate. Um, But I feel like it's really important to be strategic Because for me, I love the area that I live in. Um, It's still it's up and coming. So obviously, you know, it may not be the best, but it's the best in terms of my home value has skyrocketed. Mm, Um, So it skyrocketed. Um, So I didn't even um, finish saying like how I was able to even purchase that home. I was able to get um, the seller to pay for um renovations because the uh. home the home was really old it had green carpet it had um radiators and that was my biggest thing i was like i don't want radiators mm. so my agent said include that include that in the offer that they have to install central air of course they rejected the offer like who's gonna do that and you know and my agent kind of said like you know it's still a good house you should still put an offer and i said no no because i i know that it's going to be hard for me to sell a home with radiators if i decide to sell it mm-hmm. in the future and so um so that's when um, a week later, they actually accepted the offer. Wow. So not only were they going to um, add central air, but they were also going to pay closing costs. Now, mind you, this was back then a long time ago, not a long, it was two years ago, but before, mm, COVID, gotcha. but before, okay. COVID before the market got really hot and um, mm. so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the best spot, but they were they were, like, it wasn't in terms of green carpet. It was old, uh-huh. um, but it did have a kitchen addition. So I have the kitchen's biggest kitchen on the block. And that's what made me want to buy the property. Ooh, the okay. biggest thing is carpet can be replaced for cheap. Paint can be replaced for cheap renovating a bathroom, renovating a kitchen. Those are expensive. So Mm -hmm. for me, I felt like the bathrooms were okay. The kitchen was great. So I was like, okay, I can do this because they were, um, they were installing central air. They had to rip up the ceilings. They had to rip up the floors to put in the ductwork because Mm -hmm. they had to do that. They went ahead and put in new floors. They put in the recess lights. I mean, it looked like a brand new home once it was all set and done. So that was a really crazy deal. Um, and I got so lucky with that. Um, sorry. Just wanna. you fine. Notifications on my phone. Um. I got so lucky with that deal and what I realized was that not only did I get closing the seller paid closing so I didn't have to pay closing um not only was it like a fully renovated when I moved in but I also had first time home buyer grants that helped me pay oh. parts of closing and down payment so once I paid my earnest money deposit mm-hmm. and what a lot of and for those who don't know an earnest money deposit is when you put in an offer for a home you're required to put down one percent immediately to just basically as a sign of good faith that you're serious mm-hmm. with the deal so I put down the one percent Money to dep- earnest money deposit. When it was all said and done with all the things that I was able to get with that deal, when I got to the closing table, I actually got a check for two hundred and fifty dollars. I didn't have to come out of pocket for anything else. Wow. So that home that I purchased, but so another reason why I purchased that home for three thirty-five was because my next door neighbor. They had purchased theirs for 370 back in 2016. So I purchased the home in 2019. So I was like, all right, all right. But mind you, their home was fully renovated, like fully loaded, like an in- investor had purchased their home, renovated it, and sold it to them. So okay. they bought theirs for 370 which made sense, right? So mine mm-hmm. was selling for 335 but it pretty much was fully renovated by the time I moved in. New hardwood floors, new recessed lights, new fresh paint. I mean, it looked like a wow. brand new home. So I'm like, all right, cool. Now, mind you, that same couple that live next door to me that um, I think they bought their house for three seventy in 2016, they recently sold theirs March of this year for
0: $470,000. Kudos to them. Kudos to so them.
1: So I estimate that my house currently could be worth about 480 to 490 just because exactly. I have that kitchen addition that they don't have and my mm. property is a little bigger. So mm. that was a crazy deal and you can see how I went from 335 to 490 in a matter of 2 years. Mm. So like it I think I got lucky on that deal. But there are deals out there. You got to be willing to walk away. You got to be willing to stick to your guns because when I bought my duplex actually this um this past March or April I didn't think I could get seller's credit because I was putting in offers for home. I was going $40,000 above asking and I was still getting outbid.
0: Still, get out still out
1: getting bid. outbid. It was just ridiculous. And then I found a property and it was a duplex. And it was like kind of like this really large single family home that was like transitioned that turned into a duplex. Uh-huh. I don't know why it was on the market for so long. I don't know why people overlooked it. Got really, um got really lucky with that one as well because, well, she originally wanted 480. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, fine. Obviously, I'm not going to get seller credit because of this type of market. But I said, you know what? Bring that up to five fifteen and pay for closing, and that's another little trick. <laughs> that's like another. So she wanted Pretty it for. So oh, she wanted it for four ninety five. She wanted it for four ninety five, and I said I'll give you five fifteen and you pay for closing because that's another little trick that I like to do so mm. that I don't have to come out of pocket.
0: very no. <laughs> so, smart, very smart.
1: So just a little tip. Um. So, but the key, the thing about that tip though, is that you want to make sure that you're still able to pass appraisal. So what I've seen, and when a lot of people complain like, "Oh, well, you can never get sellers credit in this market," well. What happening with all those homes that are going like 50000 60000 70000 above market, what you're huh. not seeing on the back end is that the appraisals are not matching up. I have no. heard of several, several instances where a deal was messed up because the appraiser did not appraise the property for what it, what it's selling for. And if hmm. they don't appraise the property, the bank is not gonna give you that much money for the property unless you're because right. it's worth it. Correct. So with the duplex, the appraiser actually, um, I told her 515, the appraiser came back and said the home was worth 460 so that was a whole nother thing that was about 60 days of us trying to get that appraisal readjusted because I'm like how how is a duplex that's over 2,500 square feet I mean it's four Mm. bedrooms in the upstairs unit three bedrooms in the downstairs unit two bathrooms in each unit Mm. in this neighborhood where my neighbor just sold their little three bedroom two bathroom for Mm. 470 how is this large duplex only appraising for 460 personally I just feel like the appraiser couldn't fathom a house in a black community being worth so much Mm. but long story short we were able to bump that appraisal up to 480 right so now the seller is going to have to come down on the price to 480 because we had already been through it she was like you know what whatever she was ready to sell it it's been sitting vacant you know so she was ready to sell it but she said she wasn't going to give me that that seller's credit no more obviously okay um, and so my agent was like, you know, which is fair, which is fair. You know, she's coming down a lot.
0: Correct, I correct. Can't
1: come out of that, but I told my agent I'm gonna have to walk away because that's not in my plans. I don't got the money for that because my correct. original plan was that I wouldn't have to come out of pocket for closing because this is my second property. I have to put out more for my down payment.
0: Correct, correct. Paying.
1: So um, I was like, yes, yeah, so I, I guess I just can't do it. Mind you, we had been in the process for sixty days, so the seller said, fine, I'll give it a five thousand. <laughs> And there it is. So, to close the deal. Um, And then I was Airbnb and being the property. And so, I'm actually um, cash flowing about $1,500 a month after the mortgage is paid. And that is the benefit of having a duplex like that, is because once I could separate it into two units and rent it out to two different families, Uh so key, so key. So, I don't know how, why people overlooked it. I mean, the area is still up and coming. Like I said, Mm -hmm. it's Southeast, you know, I'm still up and coming, but. Definitely it is definitely cash flowing. Um, I was Airbnb and but I'm transitioning to just getting full-time tenants. Um, and so with that property about bought it for about 480, worth almost half a million. Current properties worth almost half a million, about a million dollars in real estate. So technically in my portfolio is about maybe nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. It's still a million bucks, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: okay. Hey, listen, let me say something. You definitely light like us with so much great information. Here's what we want to do every show we always ask every guest to give us golden nuggets because you gave us probably about 25 whether that be a scripture a book a quote or anything give us two golden nuggets we want to give to the audience
1: yeah so my first one is um stop living above your means people Mm. plain and simple like if you want to know how to just like live a better life stop living above your means you know how many people tell me to get a luxury vehicle so many people be like oh you can afford this you can afford and i'm like no, guys, I'm still just going to manage myself until I'm where I want to be, you know, stop living above your means. Sometimes patience is key. Um, delayed gratification is so important. You don't need those that Fendi. You don't need that luxury right now. Get it when That's you right. can afford it. Um, So that's just one number one. I see that all the time. I feel like that's the biggest obstacle that people have, especially in this country where debt is like king right now. Like everyone getting debt and credit cards and auto loans and student loans and car loans, you know, and mortgage loans. And it's just it's just becoming crazy. My second biggest thing that I want to tell people, and it's just a little bit of motivation because I don't want people to look at me and my story and think that I came from money or had parents that knew all about this, that helped me get there. I had no clue. I did everything on my own. I didn't have no no one telling me. I was looking at homes by myself at like 24, 25, you know, at 24 years old. Got you. Got you. I want people to know that wealth is attainable. You know, um, I grew up with a single immigrant mother. And like I said, I never even actually had a goal of owning a million dollars worth of real estate because I didn't even know it was possible. Mm. Um, I was so big on scholarships and stuff like that because I I just didn't really have any other choice. You know, I just Mm. needed it. I didn't wanna go back to my hometown. I didn't wanna go back to go and to live with my mom. I wanted to like make something of myself. Um, So I felt like I I needed to do that. So to be where I am right now, to have financial stability, to have financial security, to have two successful businesses, to have real estate is just beyond my wildest dreams. And I hear it all the time when people think that like the, the system is set up against them and they just can't do it and make it. And yeah, sometimes it really is, but just always remember that wealth is attainable And don't let anyone tell you that it is not because of whatever situation that you're in or where you Mm. were from. I work with people every day who started with nothing and make half a million dollars a year, two hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, It is so real. Like when you see those people on Instagram, on social media saying like, look at what I have. I honestly, some of my clients be those people and I'd be like, it's true guys, it's true. <laughs> this person is living their best life. So always keep that in mind that wealth is attainable. So don't you ever think that, oh no, it's, it's just not for me or I can't do it. Don't let anybody tell you that. Don't ever think that it is definitely for you and it can definitely happen.
0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. Sister, let me tell you something. You've given us so much great insight. Uh, we wanna thank you. And again, I wanna make sure I get this correctly terms of the company name. I'm going to have you say your name, Trier Financials, and you are?
1: Olamide Owaitusa.
0: <laughs> exactly. Because I didn't want to mess the name up. I want to thank you for being on the Heavy Group Real Estate Show. You are an alumni to the show, and we'll see you all next time on the Heavy Group Real Estate Show. Hey, gang, I hope you really enjoyed that show. Our guests provide us some great tips and insight, and please support them on all social media platforms. And while I'm saying that, support us on all social media platforms. And don't forget, watch the entire video on YouTube. We'll see you next time.